If you're visiting us, special welcome to you. My name's Ken Benjamin. I'm one of the ministers here. I'm actually away quite a bit at the moment, serving our denomination in a variety of different ways, including the next few weeks, actually, until the second week into December. So it's really good to be with you now, especially in this special service. A particular welcome to you if you're our friends in the local um, funeral service, Oakland's funeral service, or if you've met through, a, we've had the privilege of conducting a funeral for a member of your family or a close friend of you, or if you saw it in Contact magazine, um, or if you just turned up today and you didn't know you were coming to this special service, or if you're regularly here, it's great to share in this service with you. The, the title All Saints Day Service might mean something to some of you, but it's a strange title, so let me explain it. We've done this a couple of times in morning services. Last year we did it in the evening uh, service. But the word saint, when we take this title, it's not our title, loads of churches do it. It, it, it goes back a bit, and it doesn't mean that you're special enough to have your picture on a stained glass window. It doesn't mean that for saint. It doesn't mean you're a super spiritual uh, person or a Christian leader or a particularly holy figure. Saint just simply means is a term for those who have lived and died as believing Christians. And so this service then is for everybody. Um, it, because it affects us all. We're all in a position where we have lost a loved one, um, almost certainly. And so if this isn't your news today, this isn't your theme for today, then it's probably your theme for yesterday. And for all of us, given the fragility of life, it will be our theme at some point tomorrow, unless it's the theme for others around us because we predecease them. And because we're family together, when we gather together like this, then if it is not your theme now, then it's the theme for somebody sitting very close to you. And so it's a relevant theme for us to look at for those reasons too. We're going to look at two different readings. Uh, and the first is very short, so I'll pick that one. And the second is longer, so I'm going to ask Cindy to read that one. And the first is from John 14. And it says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then from Luke 23 and from verses 26. Thanks, Cindy. <clears throat> led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women, and mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Thanks very much, Cindy. And and well done for making it to today's service if you've come, especially for this. I know it's not a particularly easy subject to talk about. I saw just this week there's a YouGov poll that says that uh, matters of death and bereavement and matters of faith are among three or four subjects that are currently less popular than Brexit to talk about. So we really are covering three or four of those particular subjects this evening. It's always an honour and privilege for me to journey with people who have lost a loved one, even if that's a sad journey, of course, and not one anyone would have wanted. And it's a significant thing to be trusted to take a funeral service for someone. There's something in both of our readings that relates to what was probably the first funeral service that I ever took here, and probably the most recent service that I've taken, though that was somewhere else. 23 years ago, or a little bit more than that, I was asked to conduct a funeral service for a man who lived in Midhurst in an elderly people's home. Um, But he particularly wanted a Baptist minister, and there isn't a Baptist church in Midhurst. He'd come from going to a Baptist church. He'd gone to this elderly people's home in Midhurst because his family lived in Midhurst, but he wanted a Baptist minister. So I was sent to go and see him. I got to know him a little bit, and he wanted me to read those words from John 14. I said, that's fine. Then he gave me a strong stare... And he said, and you must read them from the King James Version, not from one of those new versions. So I said, why? And um, though I'm happy to do that if you want to. He said, because it says in my father's house are many mansions, not rooms. (laughs) And I want mansions. Now, if I'm honest, I think the Greek is closer to rooms, but I didn't feel that was the time to correct him. So I obeyed his commandment. I went to see him One more time before he passed away, he didn't say a lot, but he looked up at me, he said the word mansions, I nodded, and that was pretty much our last conversation. But looking back, I know that he really wanted me to convey the hope that he had and his faith that he had to his family. And I did my best 
to do that. At the most recent funeral that I did, it was a funeral for a family friend, I ended up singing a solo by mistake. <laughs> it was a village church um, in the Midlands, <clears throat> and it was a Church of England church, beautiful church. It had a little choir and an organist and, on the, and a printed order of service. And on the printed order of service was the hymn Amazing Grace. Except for it wasn't the hymn Amazing Grace, just the organist thought it was. It was a modern version of Amazing Grace, the Chris Tomlin version, if you know that. So I got there a little bit early, as, as you would do if you're conducting the service, spoke to the organist and, and the choir, and they said, yeah, it's, it's the hymn Amazing Grace, but it's got this bit that doesn't really scan, but we're going to make it scan, they said. So if you know this, the, the, the modern Chris Tomlin version, it's got the bit... My chains are gone, I've been set free. That bit. Except for they weren't going to do that. They were going to make it fit the traditional words of Amazing Grace. I don't know how that goes. You know, my chains are gone, I've been set free. That bit works. But then, my God, my Saviour has rescued me. And I couldn't have them do that. I, just, I knew that that wasn't what the family wanted. So I, I taught the choir. That was my first solo. Um, how it went. The organist didn't have it, of course, didn't have the music. So what we agreed that we would do is the verses are pretty much the same as the traditional hymn. So we would play the verses, the organist would play the verses, and, and then he would ease to a stop. In reality, he crashed to a stop. And then I would lead a cappella the bridge bit, you see, except for hardly anybody in the congregation knew it, and in a funeral people don't sing that loud. So that was my second lot of solo, you see. Each time it would stop, I would begin, my chains are gone, I've been set free, and I'm really, I'm as on my own as I am at this moment, you see. <laughs> and while that's happening, several things are going on at once. I've got family and friends there, and a member of my family, not Sue, or none of, my, none of my children, but a close member of my family, is in the front row laughing their head off at me. <laughs> now, that doesn't particularly help in this particular moment. But at the same time, it is a sad service, and other people, they're in tears, you know, not at my singing, I hope, but just because they're looking back. And other people are considering the lyrics. You see, they're considering that he, my God, my Saviour has rescued me. And if I'm honest, some of the choir are thinking, I'd have preferred the traditional hymn. And so they're not singing really, even though I've kind of taught them. And so uh, in that mix, you've got a whole range of different things going on. You've got laughter, you've got deep sadness, you've got recognition of the message, you've got slight regret that we're not singing the hymn. In one place at one time, you've got a whole range of different reactions, you see. And that's always or very often the case. We can have a range of different emotions to loss within a, a range of different people or even within ourselves. Now, that's what we have here in this second reading. It's a range of different reactions to the loss and death of Jesus. Now, in a sense, it's before bereavement, of course, and immediately after because they're watching Jesus die. <clears throat> and the loss hasn't started and then it starts. But when it says that he's breathed his last, their loss is real. Now, there's more important things going on here than the different reactions to the death of Jesus, of course. Um, the, the range of reactions is not the most important thing going on. The most important thing going on is Jesus is allowing his crucifixion to happen for a reason. It's his sacrifice and it's the key element in his rescue plan. 
like the bit I was singing as a solo, my God, my Saviour has ransomed me, is what's going on there. And so that other sacrifices aren't needed anymore. And so that those, anyone here or anywhere who puts their hope in Jesus has hope now and for all eternity. And, and we don't need to pay another price. And it's not about what, we've, what we try and do. We place our hope in Jesus and we find our hope and help there. On top of that, Jesus' death isn't like everyone else's because of the miracle of Easter day to come and that he will rise again on the third day. More important things are going on. But nevertheless, the crowd don't get all of that at that time. And so their loss, in, I mean, amidst the, in, and amidst the crowd, you have family, you have friends, you have followers, and you have people more distant to Jesus than that, people just doing their job, but their loss is real. And you, so what you have is the full range of different reactions to the loss of Jesus. And so it says, for example, that a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And they're two very different words there, mourned and wailed, even in English. One is audible wailing, and one is more subtle mourning. And it relates, I think, to different words conveying a variation of reaction, and that being okay. But among the different reactions, not all of them are straightforward and okay. It then goes on to say, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. Some people facing this death, they think it doesn't affect them at all. Not all reactions to bereavement and loss are right, including one of the criminals being crucified with Jesus, who just joins in others hurling insults at him. But of course, one of the criminals doesn't do that. And then it says, but the other criminal rebuked the one who's been hurling insults along with others. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly for what we're and getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So there's another reaction to bereavement and loss. And we see this too, and I would suggest it's a good reaction in the sense that they're considering their own position and their own need for help beyond this life and their own need for meaning. And they reach out to see if that help is available. Of course, that person has their mortality staring them immediately in the face because they're on a cross too and their life is about to come to an end. But all of our lives will come to an end and so facing death and mortality is, in that sense, a positive thing to do. And one of the things we sometimes see people do facing their own, um, facing the death of a close loved one or a member of family and friends is to burst the bubble on the fact that this is one of those topics that we never talk about and to think about our own mortality and to think about our own need for help and hope. And then there's another reaction from the centurion. The centurion seeing what happened praised God and said, surely this is a righteous man. That's what Luke's gospel says. Matthew's gospel for a Jewish more Jewish audience says it even more strongly. Surely he was the son of God, he says. And so there's a reaction seeing the uniqueness of Jesus in this position. 
And then it says, finally, when all the people had gathered to witness this sight and saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who'd followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Beating one's breast is a cultural thing. It may not be our culture, but we would have our own cultural equivalence of what it is to just admit that we have loss. Earlier in Luke, there's a tax collector who beats his breast, recognizing that he is a sinner before God in Luke 18. So it's a thing where somebody um, is, is, is in a humble position and, and they recognize their need for some other help, perhaps. And the women, they've, they've traveled a long way to be there and they're, and they're there together. And there's something, I think, about grieving for our loss collectively and traveling to do so. One of the missionary families that we support is the Lunan family, and they fly planes in Arnhem Land, um, in that part of Australia. And their latest newsletter came out just this week. Some of you would have got it by email. In the news that they convey, one of the pieces of news that they conveyed was one of the flights that Yako took to a place called Mata Mata. And, um, and why was he flying there? He, he was flying there to take some people to just be with some other people at a moment of grief and loss, including one of the MAF pilots, actually, who no longer works in Arnhem Land. Um, they work in Papua New Guinea. But they were loved by this person and their family, um, even adopted, which is kind of what they do in um, that particular culture, a way of saying you're loved. The person who had passed away was a committed Christian, but perhaps others in the family weren't. And there was something about just gathering there. Yako said they just spent some time uh, by a tree, just talking about the person's life and offering help and hope. A pastor came as well and, and talked about Jesus calming the storm and talked about the source of hope that this person had. But there, but there is something of value, you see, in a plane just taking some people just to be together and to share in this loss together. What you have there in Luke, then, is a range of reactions to loss and bereavement. Not all good, but some good. And no particular rules about how one person should experience that loss and another person not. <clears throat> We're all different. For me, sometimes loss wells up in the sense that I know it's coming and I can do nothing about it, but it's, it's just going to come and, and you can feel it building up. And, and sometimes it like jumps up. So you, you know you're experiencing loss, but you feel like you're doing okay and it's like, bang, it came from nowhere. Where did that come from? And all of a sudden it's there. And, and sometimes it sneaks up. So you think you're doing okay and, and then you're not all of a sudden again. And something reminds you. And it can be the most trivial of things. You can be watching something on TV that isn't even very good. And all of a sudden, something reminds you of that person. And it's sneaked up on you. And none of those things are right or wrong. And, and our memories of the person don't have to be all neat and tidy either. It doesn't have to be all good in the sense of Jesus was all good. Some of us have complicated feelings because... Many of us have complicated relationships with the person that we're remembering. We don't have to bring rosy-tinted glasses to this. Some of our loss is for what we didn't have sometimes and can't now have. And it's good to process all of that. My main point today 
is that there are a range of reactions to facing loss. And a range of reactions is fine. Actually, what isn't fine is to say to somebody, you must go through all of these stages because, because we're all different. And even within one person, there's a range of reactions and emotions at different times. And within that range, some things are helpful and some things are not helpful. But we are all different, you see. The children's poet laureate from some years ago was a guy called Michael Rosen. Um, he still appears on TV in various things. And he wrote about the fact that we're all different in a really simple poem. Let me give it to you. <clears throat> Don't tell me that I mourn too much, and I won't tell you that you mourn too much. Don't tell me that I mourn too little, and I won't tell you that you mourn too little. Don't tell me that I mourn in the wrong place, and I won't tell you that you mourn in the wrong place. Don't tell me that I mourn at the wrong time, and I won't tell you that you mourn at the wrong time. Don't tell me that I mourn in the wrong way, and I won't tell you that you mourn in the wrong way. I might get it wrong, I will get it wrong, I have got it wrong, but don't tell me. Within the mix, there's a whole range of different emotions, but some aren't helpful and some are helpful. So I would suggest, even for people who, have, who are full of faith for the person that they have lost, to deny the sense of loss and to be so victorious that they want to deny the sense of loss, victorious because of where that person now is with God for all, eter all eternity, is generally not helpful because our loss is still real. We don't grieve like those who have no hope, but we still grieve, you see. Equally, to not find hope and help in Jesus is to miss the key element of help and hope. And so in a little while, when we light candles, we have the opportunity to do both good things, to accept the loss and to remember all that was good and to find help and hope in Jesus. That first funeral that I took of the man who wanted me to say mansions. I did say mansions uh, because I wanted to honour what he wanted. The reason I now prefer the word home or room is because I think Jesus is repeating that word later on for a particular reason. So that word room or, or home, in my father's house are many rooms, it only appears twice in the New Testament. And the second one is later on in the same passage. So in, in John 14 and 23, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Make our home with them. That word home is the same word home where Jesus says, in my Father's house are many homes or rooms. So, it isn't just that we have this hope for eternity when we die, that in our Father's house are many rooms. It is that before that, for those who put their hope in Jesus, he comes to us and he makes his home in us. And it's in having that hope now that we have our hope for then. That's why it's homes, not mansions, I think. The song that we played in the offering is a song by 
a country singer, not particularly my style, if I'm absolutely honest with you, but her story interested me, Ashley McBride. I like her voice <clears throat> and I like her guitar playing, but it's a bit twangy for me, if I'm totally honest. Apologies to those who like country singing. But um, what interested me is that her dad was a preacher, a pastor. It's very country in style, and you wouldn't, I wouldn't want to condone all of the lyrics uh, within it, because she learns not just to read the Bible, she learns uh, shooting and fishing and a whole bunch of other things. Um, there's a reference to a gun in it. Please don't look at the lyrics that closely and come back and email me about it. But there are a couple of things I want to pick up um, about it, you see, because um, she grows up with her father um, and respects him greatly, but she doesn't like everything he does, and he's very strict with her, and he's got this lovely guitar, and as a child, she goes to play the guitar, and she goes to pick it up, and she goes to have a go at it. She now makes a living out of being a singer, you see, so she obviously had this passion, but he is having none of it, and he picks her up by, by her elbows, she says. I don't know how you do that, but she picks her up by her elbows. Maybe you've done that or had it done to you. Some of you are nodding. And he says, don't ever do that again. You know, this is a valuable guitar, they don't make them like that no more, he says. So she says, no, I won't, okay. And then later on, she becomes this professional musician. And when he's 70, he's, he's quite close to dying, I think. But he hasn't died, but she knows that he's not at home. And so kind of in spite of him, she goes back to the house where she knows he won't be. She picks up the guitar because she knows she can now. And she decides to write a song in spite of him. And then she ends up writing a song about him instead. And so I don't know how many of the lyrics that you picked up, but she says, he had a sudden drawl like a red bone hound, and every song he sang was my favorite sound. He'd be the last one off if a ship went down, the kind of man it feels good to be around. And then he says, um, he was something else, my old man. He was something else, my old man. He'd see through a lie like an old screen door. He taught me how to hunt and how to love the Lord. He carried a Bible and a 44, not condoning it all, as you understand. But then, he, then she says this, I saw him strum this thing, this thing that she's now playing, every chance he could, and he left it to me like he said he would. And if you ask me why it sounds so good, it's because I'm holding more than strings and wood. It's good. And what she's doing there, I think, is she's picking up a range of reactions, you see, that are all okay. She's picking up what was good when she clearly could have picked up what was bad. But she chose not to. And she chose not to go with the bad. She's acknowledging her loss because she says about her dad, they just don't make him like that no more. And she is reminded to look up because she's reminded that her dad taught her how to love the Lord. Today we have an opportunity to do that for those that we have lost recently and for many years ago. I'm going to pray, the band's going to come up, and then I'm going to narrate um, how we can come up and light candles. Come up and join me, band. Chris, if you want to just light the main candle for us. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us um, to, in the range of reactions, find reactions that are true to us and our culture and our personality, but also that are positive and help us find help and hope, both for now and for all eternity. 
I pray that you would help us to be aware of those around us um, and to pray for and to support them too. Amen. So just a couple of other things to say. Uh, If ever is helpful um, for you, I I wrote a book about bereavement. It's the only book I've ever written and published. Um, We try and give it away on occasions um, like this. There are some on the information desk called Some Words for Another Time. If you would like one, please go to the information desk and get them. Um, You also might want to know that Wellspring this week is um, Ian and Rosie talking about bereavement and loss. So um, you'd be welcome to come to that. Um, if Wellspring is um, something that you're thinking about coming to a women's group studying the Bible uh, midweek, it's in the news sheet, um, consider coming along to that. Now, I'm going to just explain what happens here. If we were another denomination, we wouldn't need to, but we very, very rarely have candles. So like our, our Anglican brothers and sisters will laugh at us that this needs narrating, but it kind of probably does. So during the singing of the, of the song, of the next two or three songs have we got to close? During the next two or three songs... Um, in any order is your opportunity to come and light a candle. Now, there are loads of tea light candles. I don't know if you can get it on the screen, can you, George, so people can have confidence that it's there. Um, there's loads of little tea light candles, and you can light them from the main candle and um, put them back. Obviously, it helps a little bit if you're among the first people, if you take them from the kind of inner ring so that people aren't then reaching over other flames, but I would trust you to do that. Don't feel that you have to be in a neat queue in one line. They're circular tables. And so several people can be lighting a candle at once, come around. Messy is fine in these circumstances while other people are standing and singing. You might be sitting next to somebody who's not particularly mobile um, in terms of coming up and lighting a candle, but they'd like you to light a candle for them. You might want to come with somebody else. Um, There's plenty of candles, as you can see. That's That's one table of three. Um, that George is highlighting. So plenty of candles, enough for anybody who wants to. This really isn't just somebody who is um, recognising their loss in the last year or even last couple of years. Bereavement is more complicated than that. And it's good to acknowledge that and to remember people from many years ago if we want to. You can come with somebody, as I say, um, and um, you can stay for a while if you want to and reflect and pray, or you can light the candle and you can go back and join in the singing. Let me lead in a leading in prayer and then um, we'll continue to sing. If you're able to, would you stand with me? <clears throat> Lord, we just recognise that we, we find it hard to let go of our loved ones and to leave them in God's keeping. Today, we light these candles to remind us that Jesus rose from the dead. We concentrate on the light at this time of year. Um, We recognise that Jesus came to bring us God's new life and that he is the light of the world. Today, let these candles be a sign of new life and love and hope that we have. And so today, as we sing, we invite everyone who wishes, whether your loved one died in recent years or many years ago, to come and take a candle and light it in memory of your loved one. And so demonstrating your faith that all who trust in the risen Lord are in God's safekeeping. Amen.